we have our children come forward for a children's message. Okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about our, our uh, uh, gospel lesson. You know, I'm going to talk to this, this morning in our sermon about Hebrews, but definitely the idea that this rally day, um, the beginnings of things kind of, the things we've done before, but we begin them anew. And, and what, is, what is the thing that we look at? What is the thing we focus on? Well, we focus on Jesus. So maybe take a minute just to focus on what Christ is saying this morning. Um, why do you think Jesus would say this? Um, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Anyone have any idea why he would? Basically, he's telling people, you know, in maybe a conditional way, you ought to humble yourself. Why would he do that? Why would he say we should be humble, not exalted? Any ideas? Go ahead. What do you think? It's a hard question. It's kind of it's it's hard, especially for this time in the morning, right? Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this question: Where was Christ exalted? The highest place he was exalted, on, maybe on Earth, we'll say. On the cross, that is absolutely right. That is a good answer. And yet, the cross is what? I mean, the cross is a gallows. The cross is a shooting gallery. The cross is a death instrument. And it was not meant only to kill someone. It was meant to shame them. So how can it be that a place of shame becomes a place where Jesus is exalted? And it is because in that place of shame... He was lifted up and suffered our sins, suffered in our place, so that we might have eternal life and live forever, right? So he makes this place of shame a place of exaltation. In fact, if we could say, if we were to have a competition, let's say, we want to do the top ten most humble people who ever lived, who would be number one? Jesus would be. Yeah, he humbled himself all the time. But the most important way is, Does Jesus deserve to die? No. Does Jesus need to die? Probably, right? Does Jesus want to die? It's kind of hard to say. In Gethsemane, he he wants to die to save us from our sins, but he's, he's also not wanting to bear the cup, as he says, right? But he chooses to die for us. So he becomes the lowest of sinners. He becomes the most abused of people, the, 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 the greatest sinner that ever existed. He humbles himself to the absolute bottom in order that we might live. So what I think he's really saying here, I don't think he's even talking so much about a wedding banquet. I think he's talking about himself. If you want to imitate me, if you want to follow me, what should you do? Not exalt yourself, but humble yourself like he did. Be willing to suffer for people, being willing to give up what you have for people. Our Hebrews reading talks about that, right? That we shouldn't be enamored with things of this world. We should be willing to sell what we have to support other people. Yeah? That's what he means. Humble yourself by giving all that stuff away and focus on Christ and Christ alone. Okay? So, is it, is it, uh, is it good to be meek? Is it good to be humble? Yeah, I think it is. Because that's what Christ was. For us, okay. Let's let's uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your many blessings, and Lord, we are thankful that your Son humbled Himself on the cross that we might have eternal life. Lord, help us to flee worldly pleasures and worldly things. Humble, uh, help us to be humble. 
that we might value your Son and forgiveness and salvation alone. We pray all this in Christ's name. His will be done in our lives daily and all God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming up. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Uh, our verses for consideration today, taken from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Uh, those of you who have ever been in my office might know this. I have a picture of my grandfather sitting on a, a bookshelf above me. Uh, he was a pastor of a small church, St. John's Lutheran in Green Meadow, uh, Minnesota, a country church. And when I would go to that church, St. John's, they had a really interesting thing. Some churches do this where they have a picture of all of the previous pastors who had served at St. John's all the way back uh, to its founding in the late 1800s. Um, and so I kind of look at the whole sequence and then look at my grandfather and look at the ones after them and just kind of think about uh, what things they went through. Because you, you see the dates underneath their picture and you can recall what kind of events were going on. You know, um, uh, like the, uh, the Mexican-American War and, and all kinds of things going out. Uh, the breakouts of, of Spanish flu, typhoid and polio, political upheaval, the Great Depression, uh, smaller depressions along the way. Uh, I thought as a young man that a pastor is a servant of God who preaches and teaches the truth, and he walks with us as we go through these historic events, right? He's, he's a man appointed for the times of the church that we live. Uh, now through the study of scripture, I know there is actually one more thing. There are eternal truths that span all of time. A pastor, a lay person, spends but a brief moment alive in creation. But God and his plans are eternal and forever. I think that is what the author of the Hebrews is trying to get across in his letter, if you wanted to look at it, kind of think about it. Um, from what we can gather from the text of Hebrews, there's a lot of really wonderful teaching, just amazing stuff about the office of Christ and what he has come to do, uh, the Old Testament sacrificial system. It's, just, it's an amazing book. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, I'd highly encourage you to do so. But I think what we can gather from the context, like some of the outside things, you know, why he's writing about specific stuff, we can assume that the people who he's writing to are perhaps suffering persecution. Maybe there's internal struggle going on within the congregation or perhaps even environmental concerns. At that time would have been something like drought or famine. I mean, there's a, so there's an external thing that's going on that really wasn't the cause of anybody. It just was happening. They're going through very difficult times. The author is trying to encourage this people in the face of their difficulties with the example of Jesus. He just teaches us so much about Christ. He kind of holds Christ up as this amazing example, right? And then in our text for today, you'll notice he says, he encourages us to believe and trust like our ancestors did. You know, kind of trust in those, those pastors who came before us. I kind of thought about this as looking at all those old pastors who had serve the Lord and preach the word, right? This is what he's getting at, the author of Hebrews, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, 
consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And most likely we get from this verse, not only are these, you know, former leaders of the church, but probably, most likely, former leaders who are now dead and who have moved, you know, who have gone on to be saints in heaven, right? So consider their lives, their lives of faith, and imitate that faith. Our writer goes on to say the center of our lesson and kind of just this this theme that I'd like for us to embrace and to remember even after we go home today, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. For those leaders who taught and preached, for your parents and grandparents and great, 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 greats going back a millennia, regardless of the terrors of the time that they lived or the difficulties they faced, Jesus was there. He was the author and perfecter of their faith. He was a thing that they looked upon and believed in, as he is for us now. The same Jesus who lived and breathed with his disciples. We hear those wonderful stories about how Jesus Christ walks and teaches and does miracles. He lives and breathes with his disciples. That same Jesus suffered, bled, and died on the gruesome cross. He also rose from the dead and now lives and reigns to all eternity. This Jesus, that Jesus we hear in those stories, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I only bring this up because perhaps we like to say sometimes we live in what? We live in unprecedented times. Really? Are they that unprecedented? What do you remember? And this this is going to predate some of the people in this room, but maybe some of you can remember. What do you remember about the day, July 20th, 1969? It was a Sunday. Three astronauts touched the heavens and landed foot on the moon, almost 10 p.m. on a Sunday night. Some of you maybe remember that. And I wonder if some of you can remember, it's, it's an honest question, did you pray for the astronauts that day in church? I don't see any heads nodding. I, I, I figured maybe we would have prayed for these guys who were strapping a rocket to their back. But who, you know, who, who knows? What were your thoughts on that day? I don't know if you knew this, but Neil Armstrong gave himself communion in the lunar module on the moon. Did you know that? So, so he was a Catholic. He had communion. He had taken communion with him that a priest had given him. He had communion on the moon. I think that's really cool. It's a cool story. Um, what thoughts did you have that day? Did you think the world was going to be open and free and amazing and just all kinds of a thousand new and wonderful accomplishments were on the way that night, July 20th, while millions were on their TVs? Jesus then was the same as he is now. It was a Thursday, the 9th of November, 1989. I was, uh, what? I think and videos began to come out all over the place of the Berlin Wall coming down we had been locked in a cold war and uh, the fears of that at any given moment nuclear bombs might drop and we might all be wiped off the face of the planet in fact there was a really compelling made for TV movie about this I don't remember I think it's called like the, the next day or the seventh day or something like that it was the day after a nuclear holocaust right 
Um, but then the Berlin Wall comes down and started to think like, oh, maybe these things are going to change, right? This, this Cold War is over. We can focus on other things. Uh, on church, the Sunday following, did you give thanks uh, that this Berlin Wall had come down? I can't remember. I was very young. I don't remember exactly what happened. Uh, this would probably predate a lot of people. We'll see. Uh, there were less hopeful days, December 7th, 1941. Yeah. It was a lazy day in Pearl Harbor. It was a Sunday. Don't know if you knew that. It was a Sunday. An awful day ensued. We would be committed on a course of bloodshed and war, and it you know, was one of the most significant historical events in modern human history. It started a whole series of chain of events. It was a Sunday. Did we offer up prayers? Can you remember that? Where you maybe little, little, little. Maybe you weren't born. Probably a lot of us weren't. I remember a Tuesday morning as I studied Latin <laughs> for a choral literature exam. I had to memorize the entire mass setting in Latin for my choral literature exam. So I was sitting on my couch in my apartment memorizing Latin. And for some reason, I felt this desire to turn on the TV and check the news to see if anything was going on. And I turned the news on just in time to see the second plane hit the second tower. And by the way, my professor still made me take that Latin test that day. <clears throat> that night I sat in chapel with so many others trying to make sense of the world, trying to make sense of my anger, and trying to make sense of my fear, right? It's just a few, just a few moments, right? But you could pick any. And there are so many important historical moments. They all affect one another. They all are in the chain. History is just a series of actions and reactions and reactions to reactions. They're all connected. They are burned in our memories. I would imagine you could probably still remember the smells and sights of that day. I know I can remember all the smells and sights of the day of 9-11. In our highs and in our lows, in every moment since his ascension into heaven, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. With the news cycle the way it is, and people clamoring for money and attention, almost every event is elevated to the highest levels of human importance. I'm not sure if we live in unprecedented times, but it sure seems like it. And the truth for today is the same, the truth that the writer of the Hebrews had, that he would want us to remember. In our lives that are filled with all sorts of difficulties, with all sorts of noise, with all sorts of news, and crazy things going on around us, failures and successes of ourselves, our country, our human population, right? God warns us not to become enamored with our lives, nor to think that this is all there is. He reminds us not to fear the events of our day or the sufferings or the struggles that we go through. We can get tunnel vision and think we live in unprecedented times. I'm sure the people who sat there on Sunday night, December 7th, 1941, thought they lived in unprecedented times. And so on and so on and so forth. So, today is rally day. How do we fight against this propensity for us to believe that we are most especially special? That these times are, are unprecedented that they'll never come like this again. 
there probably was one time that was unprecedented. It was when Jesus came down and lived as a human being for those 33, 35, or however many years he lived. Those were unprecedented times. Perhaps, you know, as we think about rally day, you can think to yourself of the rally days that you were part of as a child. Maybe the, one, the things you experienced. Or maybe you can think about the rally days that you took your children to, watched them participate in all the activities, sat with all the friends and family and the people that you used to know during potluck time. It's a celebration that harkens back to harvest festivals and the end of the agricultural season, the beginning of school, of fall, of winter months. It used to be different than it is today, but some things remain the same. Like, how is rally day like the rally days we knew when we were a child? It's simple. Today we refresh and renew. We start over our yearly quest, right? Proverbs tells us we should be seeking out these mysteries of God, and the ones that matter, the ones that are important, the things we'll be seeking out, is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We start our yearly quest to study Christ. We look to him and the same stories. So it's this strange thing where we, we start over. We start a new year where what we're going to do is all the same stuff we did last year and the year before that and the year before that and so on and so forth. And yet that is the whole way in which we cannot or we, we can stave off being enamored with the unprecedented times we live in. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. We sing the same old hymns we've been singing for centuries. We read the same old readings we've been reading for a millennia. We hear the word of God preached both law and gospel as we have since we were children. It continues in perpetuity into the future. We make our foundation not on our lives nor on the events of our life. We make our foundations not on the strength of our government or the technology that we think will ra uh, radicalize the whole world, will change everything. We start this year on Rally Day the same way we always have, focusing on Christ, how he has defeated sin in our place and given us eternal life, and thanks be to God for that. We look again away. We put our lives behind us. We put all these concerns to the side, and we focus on Jesus yet again away from our sufferings, away from the scary moments of our life and of history, away from the amazing and earth-shattering new inventions and technology that's coming at us every seemingly day of the week. We look away from ourselves and our fears, our greed, our anxieties, and our mistrust. We look away from all of this and set our eyes on Jesus, who is our Savior, we look on Jesus, who is the Son of God most holy. We look on Jesus, who forgives, and in doing so, removes our guilt and makes us clean. You know, what does that mean in our lives today? Well, I think we learn in our Hebrews lesson. What does it mean to focus on Christ? Let brotherly love continue. Show hospitality to strangers. <clears throat> Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are watching over your souls. 
This is how we live our Christian life. This is how we turn our focus towards Christ. We turn it away from ourselves. And sometimes, I know in this world that we live, away from maybe our fears of not having enough, of not having enough to protect us, to take care of us, to feed us. We turn away from all of that. We focus on Christ. And today we start again this wonderful pursuit and reflection on Jesus. This proverb states, the glory of kings is to search things out. In the face of the trials and tribulations of this world, let us fix our eyes once again upon Christ, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never change. Thanks be to God. Amen.